Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest hanging out over Zoom. We're staring at him. He's staring at us. He's uh, somewhere on a, in another part of the globe, probably got much better weather than we have, at least judging by his dress right now. Yeah. <laughs> Shirts all unbuttoned, chest hair is coming out. I love it. I love it. That was like the worst description ever. He doesn't have any chest hair popping <laughs> oh maybe it's the maybe it's just the shadow take 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 off your shirt take off your shirt let's see it's oh. blonde what can i say you're not gonna say it is there <laughs> hey everyone it's amanda we've got daniel who's uh talking to us uh, somewhere in australia i actually didn't even ask him where he is but i'll let him do that i wouldn't know anyway i'd have to yeah, bust I, open the map i've said it over and over and over again on every episode geography is not my thing so i know he's in australia somewhere and uh what would you say your title was myotherapist all i had to do was remember that one thing and i That's didn't correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, myotherapist, which he says is as close to a registered massage therapist as you can get Makes in Australia. Yeah. Him and Mark started talking over Facebook probably like um, two months ago and, you know, just talking shop. And Daniel wanted to talk about the industry from an Australian perspective. And he's listened to some of our episodes before. And so we said, sure, let's do that. We don't really know where the conversation will take us, but those are the most fun nights. So Daniel, thanks for hanging out with us. And what time is it there? Is it like like seven in the morning? A day and a bit in front of you. So it's Wednesday, 11 o'clock. Wow. Uh, so almost lunchtime. Wait, Wednesday, 11 o'clock. What day is it today? We're Tuesday. We're Tuesday, 7 p.m. I thought it was Monday all fucking day long. <laughs> no, it's Tuesday, <laughs> 7 p.m. So it's Wednesday, 11 a.m. where you are. Okay, awesome. So for everybody listening, can you give um, an introduction about yourself? How long you've been um, working in this industry? And, you know, if you were doing anything before, Beforehand, what got you interested? And then we'll jump right into whatever you want to talk about tonight or this morning, tomorrow morning. Oh. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on. I've been really looking forward to it for a while. My name's Daniel. I'm a, a myotherapist in Hampton, Melbourne, Australia, which is sort of down in Victoria. I've had a, a really interesting sort of introduction into this. I was a, a concreter or precast concreter for 15 years before I had a bit of an injury, which means I sort of can't concrete anymore. Mm. And being that I was good with my hands, I had to find what was next. And as a, a mature age student, I thought I'd, I'd start low and see where it took me and see if I could actually learn. And I've found an industry that I absolutely adore and love. I uh, I look forward to turning up to work every day. I'm always early and I just like to get set up and really get in there and help people. This and dude it's, really likes it. It's, eh? a, it's a fantastic fantastic thing that we got we get to do he really loves his job like you you guys can't see but his face just lit up just yeah. talking about the job he does now so are you like man i should have just fucking i should have done this sooner i wasted some time i could have been i could have been loving my job a little bit earlier in my life uh yes and no the thing that i feel i give my clients the most is from my experience so i've I've worked in trades, I've worked in offices. I know the downsides to all that stuff. So when people come in and say, oh, this hurts and I do this for a living, say, 
yeah, that that totally makes sense. Mm. What else are you doing? <laughs> Which more often than not is not much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I totally totally love that I I have made the change. I do wish I had done it a little bit earlier so that I could just learn more and be more engaged in sort of the the massage myotherapy community in Australia. But yeah, I'm still not that old. There's still time for me yet. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been practicing now? Uh, coming up on three years. Okay. So yeah. getting into this at what you described as a mature age, I won't ask you how old you are. <laughs> take a guess, take a guess. I, I know. I'm actually so bad at this. I am so bad at I'm this. I'm worse at it, so I wouldn't So no, on. I'm not even going to try. But getting into it at a mature age, um, how did you find school? Did you find it relatively difficult or were you just like so in love with it from the beginning that it wasn't too bad? Uh, I, I was in love with it from the beginning. Uh, I did find it, um, I did find elements of it difficult. Uh, but anatomy was by far my favorite subject. And I had the most awesome teacher or lecturer who really knuckled down on that, the whole origin insertion action thing. And it was constant palpation. What are you touching? Show me. Where is it? How's it work? And I reckon that's that particular lecturer was the the thing that really got me inspired. Like she she'd been doing the job for a long time, uh, lecturing and teaching as well as um, treating herself. And her love for the industry just really showed through in every class that you turned up to. She was. Yeah, she was awesome. That can make such a difference. Like if you have, well, just as Mark said, you lit up when you were talking about massage versus when you were talking about your previous career. Um, I had mentioned when talking about how I got into massage therapy, that there was a point when I was in school that I was just ready to throw in the towel. I was so burnt out. I was working full time. I was going to school full time. And was that Mar near the end? Was that near the middle? Um, that wasn't at the beginning. I was probably about a year in, so okay. I still had another year. You're halfway through. And okay. yeah, I was halfway through and I was like, I don't know if I can handle this for another full year. And Mark was like, it, no, you have to keep going. He's like, the way your face lights up and the excitement that you get talking about the fact that you're going to be a massage therapist versus talking about your present job, like there's just no comparison. And I do yeah, remember- your present job sucked. It did. <laughs> and I do remember having some instructors that were exactly as you described, like just so excited. And it was sort of that that made me want to keep going. Like my clinic supervisor, we've actually had her on the podcast. Her name was Melanie. Um, she loved this job so much. And she would like come in when I was treating clients in clinic and- if it wasn't like a crazy busy time, she'd like actually spend quite a bit of time there and like just teach me new techniques and like watch what I was doing. And it, it, I don't know, it was just her excitement made me like excited. Also, to treat. As, as an instructor, when you see fresh faces that are so like excited to be there, it reignites everything with you. So you might be with like, you know, a fourth term class that's got you know a couple weeks left and they just want to get the hell out of there and they're sick of you and you're sick of them and everything else. <laughs> no, really, it, it happens. Yeah. And then you get this 
this brand new fresh face that's never done anything like this before, career change, super excited, I want to learn how my body works because it's my freaking body and I don't know how it works and I'm learning all this stuff and I'm going to make an awesome career out of this. So it really reignites everything. So when I used to teach, I used to get reignited like that every freaking start. Yeah. It, it was actually it was actually really, really cool. Yeah, so a little bit more background onto uh, my introduction. I, I actually signed up to a school that was a, a private college to start off with, which went broke. So I spent uh, a, uh, just over a year at that particular school before oh. it closed. So that was my, my breaking point was do I try and finish it or do I, do I quit? Uh, I changed to, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, RMIT in Melbourne. It's a big technology uh, university. Uh, I changed over to those guys and I subsequently found out that none of my assessments have been handed in or graded. Oh, man. Uh, none of my RPL have been done. So I, I turned up there and I got given the option of either starting again from oh. scratch Ooh. or doing every single assessment over the course of about three months for the entire course to be able to continue. Right. And I took the hard option and said, look, I'm fairly confident that I've learnt this stuff. Oh, wow. So let's go. Nice. I, uh, yeah. I did it. I scraped through. <laughs> I think I would have been like, fuck it. I'm just going to go through class again. I'm going to sleep through class because I've done this material before. But that's also probably way more expensive. Oh, that's true. Right? Yeah, I assume yeah, they would have yeah. wanted you to pay for the whole program, right? Uh, so with the way the, the laws work in Australia, uh, I wouldn't have paid any more either way. Oh. I would have lost a year. Right. right. I get it. It's kind of shitty that you were loving school and then it gets shut down and then now it's just prolonging you to get into the career you love. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I changed my mind on that. Okay, you, can, you I, just can I tell you how much this parallels what you were doing last night? So last night, Mark was editing a podcast that we recorded the other night and it was such a good episode Maybe that he wanted to mind, he wanted to edit it right away so we could get it published because he really enjoyed it. So he did all this work yesterday and don't I don't I don't understand technology, but something went wrong. And then he had two options. Literally start the editing process from scratch or try to figure out where the, the glitch one, happened the one and, part and piece it back together. And fix it. And then I went through so many cycles. I'm like, fuck it. Let me just start it over because for me to find it, it's going to be such a pain in the ass and then that might take forever. And then I restart editing and then after like fucking 10 minutes into it, I'm like, this is an hour and a half long podcast. It's gonna, I'm only 10 minutes in. I can't do this. So then I stopped doing that. And I'm like, let me just go hunt for that one spot where I, where I might have screwed that up. And then after 15 minutes of hunting, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I've been looking for it for 15 minutes. Who I could knows? have edited for 15 minutes. I could have, and then I would switch back to, oh, let me just start editing. And then I'm like, well, where did I fucking leave off? I don't even know where I left off. This I got to start over again. This cycle went yeah. on for about an hour until he eventually committed. He found the place where it got screwed up and he fixed it but yeah, oh but. my god that's what i mean like when you're in that spot where it's okay do i want to take all of these exams again that i've already done for a year of material yeah, such a short in three of months yeah. or just fucking start again i 
I think I would have probably chosen the option you did, Daniel, although that sounds like torture. Well, with that, with that option, that torturous option, apparently, with that torturous option, if you were unsuccessful at those exams, you would have just been able to start the program over again, right? So you might as I'm, exactly, ass- yeah. I'm assuming so. so yeah, you, I might as well You might try. just roll the dice on it and see what happens, roll the bones, right? So obviously that worked out for you. Oh, yeah. And sort of the, the new lecturers that I had, they gave me so much time, even though they hadn't essentially taught me any of the material. They gave me so much time because they, they could see how much I wanted it, how much I loved it. And yeah, so they, oh, I'm on my lunch break. I just come in and chat to me then while I'm eating my lunch. Any questions you've got, we'll just go through it and then you know, let's get back into class. So the school that closed down, did they do, yeah. a, did they do a really good job? Like when you're, when you're at your newer educational institution, are they like, oh man, you don't know what you're supposed to know or everything was just bang on the way it was supposed to be? Because I, again, working in the school system, when someone is coming from another private career college to wherever the school that I was at, I was met with so much variance. Like, oh, well, you guys, wherever you were, your program seemed to be great. And then someone else is coming in and it's like, whoa, I have no idea what the fuck they were teaching you there, but we got to turn all this around. I, it was, so broad and it really did depend on the instructors that you had so the ones the 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 ones that i had taught us a lot of relaxation type stuff and i I wasn't really getting into that like i i absolutely loathe doing relaxation massage (laughs) it's the biggest form of torture you could ever possibly imagine to put me through but other other people that I was talking to who were through the same college were say, "Oh, I'm learning all this stuff, and you know, we're we're doing all these rem- like proper remedial treatments." Right. And I was thinking, "Well, why am I just learning <laughs> relaxation?" And then, of course, I've changed schools. There was a case. What do you mean you haven't learned how to test for this stuff? Yeah. Okay. You know the funny Where's the thing? book? I'm going home and I need to read. The funny thing for me is I'm like you and Amanda's the same where we really like to do treatment. We like to provide treatments for our patients and clients. However... I love receiving relaxation treatment. I don't like doing it at all. I'm with you. It's the most fucking torturous thing in the world for me. But I I love fucking getting them. I don't hate it. <laughs> I, I don't hate it. I do I do like doing treatments just because I like using variety. I like, you know, using joint mobilizations. I like using stretches. I like, you know, using muscle activations. Like I like doing it. Well, because it's the perfect mix of like the physical and the intellect. Yeah. Like, it comes together. So I, I enjoy um, treatment. However, I don't hate doing relaxation. Sometimes I can just get in such a groove and I find it like, I don't know, it's like an art like i feel like i if i put on like the right playlist and somebody just wants to chill out i can get so lost in what i'm doing that all of a sudden i like look at the clock i'm like whoa like 20 minutes just went by what have, so, okay. what have i been doing so daniel when, when you're telling when you're saying that you don't like doing relaxation treatments if i was your client on the table and you're giving me a relaxation treatment would i know that you're like fuck i just <laughs> uh, this, when is this thing fucking ending will i feel that in your touch because you'll, uh, you'll feel that in my I'm, touch I've told no (laughs) so yeah as much as i don't like do it and like this year alone i reckon i've probably had to do two relaxing massages in total so i think i've developed a a reputation for a specific type of treatment and that's what people come to me for nice i mean i don't advertise on social media or anything like that eric 
just about everything I do is all word of mouth or um, through the actual business owners advertising. So yeah, I, I get, I, I seem to get the same sort of people who want the same sort of treatment, which is very specific, reasonably uncomfortable, right. but always results based. If you're, if you're not leaving with a result, then I've failed you. I haven't done my job properly. Gotcha. You know what I like about relaxation treatments though? And when I first came out of school, I actually didn't really like doing them because I did find I would get bored. Like I wasn't, you know, using enough of my knowledge. Although I have changed my mindset on that where, I mean, even when I'm performing a relaxation treatment, I'm still palpating. I'm still finding where there's things to be worked on and I'm incorporating that in a relaxing way, right? But what I've come to really love about them is when you talk about results, you get off the table after me working on you for, you know, an hour or 90 minutes doing a relaxation treatment, you feel results. <laughs> like these people get up and they're like, whoa, they're so happy. So I don't know. I like, uh, I like seeing the results, but that's, I mean, for me, that's enough of a result. If someone gets up and they're like, wow, you're magical. I'm like, I really am. Thanks. Enjoy your day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it's, to, I'm not a, I hate being touched. So I, I'm well, this not a, is interesting. A big fan of actually receiving <laughs> treatment myself. Right. So if, if I'm getting something done to me, I want it to be super specific. I don't want to be there forever. I just get in, get it done, get me moving, mm -hmm. and then I'll train it out afterwards. Nice. Yeah. And I get that. it's, uh, I don't know whether it's like a, a childhood thing or whatever it is, but I just, I'm not a fan of being touched. And that was the hardest part of going to school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> turn up every day. Somebody's touching you. Uh, is, it, is this 20 minutes over yet? Come you, on. <laughs> you would have been the perfect person to be a partner with because you just want <laughs> you just want to work on people. You don't want to get worked on. So I would have loved to be your partner. I'm oh, like, yeah, absolutely. go ahead. <laughs> Unless his partner also is like, fuck, I don't want to touch anybody. <laughs> I come from a family of people who don't like to be touched, so I understand, but I am the complete opposite. So like, if I go to hug your mother, she'll back off? I don't know. I think my mother has a strange crush on you, so she might not. <laughs> Does your dad know about that, though? Does your father know? <laughs> come, come for you, John. Oh, boy. <laughs> Well, Daniel, like I know that um, this conversation with Mark over Facebook started, you know, probably a couple months ago, as I said, who reached out to who? Did you send Mark a message first? Did he reach out to you? How did this connection happen? I don't remember at all. Uh, I think I, I think I reached out to, to Mark first. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I commented on a, on a couple of things and yeah, we sort of reached out and here we are. As, as much as the last sort of year and a bit has been a bit of a, a, a thrill ride for everybody. Uh, I've just been, I've been really looking forward to just sitting back and being able to chat shop with some people, which is, is really good. So let's do that. Like when you reached out to him, what was it that you wanted to talk about? Like usually when someone sends an email, it's because either they've heard an episode and they've got stuff to say, or they've, you know, they've got this thing burning inside of them that they want to talk about what did you want to get out to the masses today education <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily the classroom stuff um I, I don't know what it's like for for you guys over there but in australia the the amount of times that people uh i've been told to come see you for a massage and I was like, okay what sort of massage mm -hmm. <laughs> 
uh, and so, oh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a bit sore here. And apparently, if you just give it a bit of a rub, it's gonna, it's gonna feel better. And uh, I think as an industry, we need to start educating people that massage is a tool. It's not the only thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Even to the point where do we stop referring to it as we're giving people a massage? We're we're offering treatment or we're offering service or we had this conversation with uh with sandy i just finished editing his podcast today and we brought that up with him because he does he doesn't do traditional massage work he doesn't work directly on your skin everyone's got their clothes on there's no oily stuff exactly he does a lot of movement he does a lot of exercise and everything else and he said or i think it was amanda you're like well you don't do quote-unquote massage and i was like why are you throwing that in quotes because i wanted to go down that path of you know what maybe we need to rebrand this type of this type of manual therapy treatment and not call it massage because you know realistically massage is universally known like internationally we understand what massage is going to be for the most part and if we're delivering something that that's not really in line with that then maybe we really should think about rebranding it yeah even what even our title like daniel in australia he's called a myotherapist that makes a lot more sense to me we're we're called registered massage therapist so when people come to see us they're expecting what they view as massage therapy you hear massage you think that you're going to get undressed and someone's going to put lotion on you and need your muscles. But that's my point because then there's a whole bunch of registered massage therapists in in Canada and there's there's five different provinces in Canada where it's considered regulated healthcare. And so these RMTs in Canada, they all get fucking up in a roar. In other words, the definition of massage seems very small in the public eye. And they're like, well, we need to re-educate the public on what massage is. I'm thinking now maybe call it something different because maybe the public isn't wrong in what they're thinking massage is well i like what daniel said massage is one of our tools we do so many other things i think the marketing is a big factor here i mean yes i agree that us being called massage therapist but instead of us trying to change the public's perception on what massage is it's probably easier if we all start going you know what let's not call it massage anymore yeah let's not be let's not just be called massage therapist like you said we can be manual therapist where massage is one of the things we do and there's going to be some people who massage is most of what they do you know that's the tool they use most often there's going to be some people who like daniel said do a lot of their treatments with hardly touching somebody and if we can have the public understanding that all of this falls within the same umbrella the same scope and also make sure that when we are marketing we're setting the expectations for people coming in because i'm sure it's annoying to you daniel when someone walks in and they're like um okay can i just take my clothes off and you start rubbing oil on me now and you're like um no i'm going to assess you and i want to treat you like i don't just want to massage you manual manual therapy or massage is still a fairly big part of what i do right Mm -hmm. but the most important part for me is that the education part Mm -hmm. and i i don't give people the opportunity to just walk in and start taking their clothes off nice i remember back when i was back when i was studying one of the the male lecturers i had he said the biggest issue that we have, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Mark has spoken about it as well, it, with male therapists is draping and inappropriate touching. Mm-hmm. Any client who walks in, depending on what I'm treating, you're not getting undressed. It's if I'm treating your back, I'll, I'll even suggest to you know, ladies, keep your bra on. I'll, un- I'll ask you and I'll undo it and then I'll do it back up for you. But I want you to keep as many clothes on as you can mm. so that you feel comfortable so that I can then do my job most effectively. 
And I know it sounds a bit prudish, but I mean, ultimately, the more comfortable you can make your client when they walk in and when they're receiving treatment, the even better outcome you're going to get at the end of it. Well, and I'm pretty sure that if you're telling, um, especially female clients, to keep clothes on, people aren't accusing you of inappropriate touch because you're telling them, I don't even want uh, you taking things off. <laughs> yeah, keep all your clothes on, please. Thank you. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, it's always been my, my single biggest fear. And um, uh, uh, I had a, a lecturer who's he's a, a fantastic um, manual lymphatic drainage specialist and he sort of studied all through Europe and stuff and he he taught us you know, a, a full body manual lymphatic drainage treatment and I've never felt more uncomfortable in my life because a part of that is working around the breast area and the breast, breast is exposed. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Man. As much as I love the concept of how this all works, yeah, yeah, yeah. once I leave here, that bit is staying in the classroom. I don't care how beneficial it is. <laughs> it's not going to be something I'm focusing on. When I was in school, I think I felt, I, I don't think, I know I felt the same way about doing any type of breast massage treatment. I was really uncomfortable when it came up in class to practice it with my with my classmates at the time. Like I'm like, I don't need to do this. I'm okay with it. And I used it quite often out outside of school like when i was done school i was very comfortable with it it was for me it was more the school atmosphere and it was my classmates these people that i'm always hanging out with yeah you know know what i mean so it felt a little it felt a little awkward in in that regard but then when i was finished school like i i was i was actually shocked how comfortable that it was for me to to do that Mm -hmm. Uh, there's definitely elements of it that i i still i've got a couple of clients with you know some lymphedema issues in their legs great i can just work from the abdomen down and we don't worry about the top bit it's fine (laughs) (laughs) but i just yeah it also keeps you i think uh, as much as i i I like to say i'm open to treating everybody if that's what you're coming for i'd be more comfortable if you saw a female therapist for that one you know what that's that's good though you recognize you know where you feel comfortable where you're not comfortable where your skill set is where your skill set isn't like that's the makings of a mature therapist you know it's not about you know keeping every person that comes in and making them your patient for life it's really about you know client-centered care yep well i remember when i was in my late teens early 20s my Um, my family doctor growing up my entire life was a male because he was the doctor that my mom went to. So I just ended up going there. I was super comfortable with him. I had no issue. But as I got into my later teens, he actually suggested or not even suggested. He just said to me, would you be more comfortable doing your physical exams now with my associate who's a female doctor? And he kind of gave me the choice. And even just that made me more comfortable. You know, I was like, oh, I didn't even know I had the option. I just assumed you're my doctor. Like, I would go to you. But I, you know, then when I had to do things that were a little more sensitive, then I would Mm -hmm. ask him, like, can you book me with her next time? Because we need to do these things. And yeah, it it definitely made me more comfortable. And I didn't get the feeling that he was uncomfortable. I felt it was more like he was, yeah, it was about me. And I want to make sure that my patient is comfortable. So I appreciated that. Yeah, because I'd imagine like he wouldn't want you not making appointments when you really should be coming in to see any medical professional when there's any kind of issue and you're holding back because you're like, I'm not comfortable with yeah. my male doctor. I'm really lucky. So I work in a, a multi-modality clinic and there, there are, I think there's four myotherapists that work there. I'm the only male. 
So for in those circumstances, I'm not even sending them up the road. I'm just sending them into a different room. Yeah, I get good feedback about that. Yeah, you know, having that that client focus rather than you know, oh, you're another person that I can book in for an hour. That's great. <laughs> as much as you know, we all like to be paid. There's plenty of people out there. You just got to find the right people for yourself. Exactly. Treat what treat what you do. Do what you do well, and the right people will come to you. Absolutely. Where does um, where does massage fit in paramedical in Australia? So, for example, in in Canada, I feel like massage is kind of like a little bit on the lower rung of paramedical, right? You've got you know physiotherapists, which it just generally, I mean, it, it's probably it's just perception though. But physiotherapists, it, there's the perception that it's a little higher up on the rung. Doctor of chiropractic, a little higher up on the rung. Massage therapist, a little bit lower down. What's what's the landscape where you are? So yeah, that'd be that'd be exactly where we fit as well. So. Uh, and the thing that sort of really emphasized it for us was when Victoria went into that second lockdown, mm-hmm. as they slowly started closing off businesses, uh, physiotherapists, chiropractors, and osteopaths and acupuncturists could still treat uh, in emergency type right. cases. And yeah. uh, we got shot. So yeah, that was, uh, it sort of highlighted it, but. Even as a as a, a body, we we're, we're not all on the same page. Like when the pandemic first got announced, a lot of the social media stuff uh, through Facebook and that from different myotherapists or remedial massage therapists were saying, "Oh, you know, there's a pandemic. We need to close because we've got to protect our clients' health." But at the same time, a lot of these people were the same one saying, well, you know, we're healthcare professionals. We need to be right. considered, you know, higher up on the run. I thought, well, you can't have it both ways. That's literally when, been the conversation here as well. It's, yeah, it's when, when the shit hits the fan, either you're prepared to work or you're not. And if you want to be a healthcare professional, you work. If you want, Unless, yeah, obviously everyone's got their own reasons and if you're in that higher risk category or whatever, then definitely do what's in your best interest. But at the same time, don't criticize others because they feel like they're helping their clients because I don't know anybody who does this job for the money. Everyone I know does it because they love it. If you want to do it for the, for the money, you'd become an investment banker or a <laughs> lawyer or something. Is there a difference? You just use two different terms. You've called yourself a myotherapist but you also just said remedial massage therapist are these synonymous or are these different job positions so uh to become a myotherapist you first have to uh, complete the diploma of remedial massage and then myotherapy is another one-year course on top of that so yeah it works out to be uh, three years full-time to become a, a myotherapist and sort of that the last year is more working on uh, treating more specifically neurodynamics, dry needling, and you know, being a lot more specific with your treatment assessment and your remedial exercise prescription. So you want to be a myotherapist. That's Rather like just, that's the top end. All right, gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that, that that's what I was sort of I was sort of alluding to earlier. So myotherapy. As a whole, 
I think when I was sort of trying to compare what we learn versus what you guys learn, I think we're, we're still just a little bit behind, but it's about as close as you can get. I don't know. I mean, in terms of timing, like three years is like massage therapies. Three, two to three years here. Years, yeah. yeah. Depending if you go to like yeah. a private college or if you go to a publicly funded college. Um, and it sounds like you're learning. Yeah. Pretty much the same in terms of assessment and doing remedial exercise. And and that, you, that, that, are, that are in that, uh, that Mayo program that, that are, we, don't, that we do. don't do. We don't do dry, dry needling. That would yeah. be a whole other course that we'd have to take. Ah, uh, dry needling. That is by far the coolest course. <laughs> <laughs> so the the when we learned that the the woman who who taught us dry needling, she was also a, a acupuncturist, and some of the stuff that she used to tell us, or she from her experience from acupuncture and dry needling, was unbelievable. But um, we. <sighs> She wouldn't let anybody put a needle in anything unless you could absolutely explain everything that you're planning on doing. Mm. What muscle is it? Prove to me that that is the muscle that you're putting the needle in. Show me where you're playing. Let me palpate it. Make sure that it is actually you know, a, a trigger point or whatever. So, yes. Okay. Yes, you can put that needle in. And it was, it was so good. So that was basically the best part of a year to learn predominantly superficial muscles to needle and some slightly more dangerous zones for lack of a better you put word. That, you put that in quotes. Why are they dangerous? Well, because I mean, like I, I, I was reading, I don't, I'm, I'm looking it up now. I was reading on uh, our college website uh, of a, of a case that's happening. I don't know if it's happening right now or how long ago it happened where a massage therapist who does acupuncture punctured a patient's lung. <sighs> Oh my god! Okay, we got shown a few case studies when we were learning it, and the only ones they could find in Australia were where physiotherapists had punctured lungs trying to needle the upper trap. So they're dangerous if you don't know what angle to put them in. If you if you're angling it towards the ribs when you're needling the upper trap, yeah, you, you're angling it towards something that you shouldn't. <laughs> oh boy. So do you use dry needling a lot in your practice? Uh, not a lot. It's, it really does uh, depend on the client. The, they have to be really open to it because we have to do a research project as part of you know, our course. And my particular topic was treating um, TMJ using either only manual therapy, manual therapy and dry needling or dry needling only. So there was that three different prongs. The manual therapy and the dry needling was by far the most effective and had the longest lasting results, except for in cases where the client was afraid of needling, yeah, in which case you sense. actually had a worse worse result than the other than just doing manual therapy on its own. To be honest, needles in my face, I mean, needles anywhere scare the shit out of me. Um, I've said this over and over again. The largest reason that I chose not to have an epidural when I had my children was because the thought of that was more terrifying than the pain of labor. Um, 
but we taught a joint mobilization course over the weekend and one of the participants does acupuncture as well. And um, we, you know, we didn't really get into doing TMJ treatments because COVID kind of ruins that for us, but we still talked about the TMJ mobs and things. And he said that, um, that he uses acupuncture a lot with his TMJ clients and mm-hmm. he sees amazing results. I believe him, but the thought of getting a needle in my face, I don't know. I, th- I think I'm out. <laughs> I, will, I would preface that only because I'd get in trouble if I didn't, that acu- uh, acupuncture and dry needling are very different in Australia. <laughs> I definitely cannot say I'm an acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no Eastern training. I, I am literally just putting a dry needle into a muscle. That's it. <laughs> Even here, because massage therapists, they're they're allowed to use acupuncture within the scope of practice for massage yeah, therapy. Yeah, so it's not right? TCM. So not working, you know, fully under the license of being a TCM. However, if you if you if you do TCM and you belong to the college of TCM and acupuncturists, then yeah. obviously you can use it within the full scope, but mm-hmm. separating what you would do as an RMT or a massage therapist. So you you've sort of alluded to earlier that you seem to get the same type of people. Like this these clients are being yeah there's certain people that are attracted to you because of your style of treatment and possibly because you're the only male therapist in an all-female clinic um that probably works out to a huge benefit actually yeah who are the people who are your clients who do you treat everybody between uh i think my youngest client at the moment would be about 17 my oldest is in their 90s and it is a really, really broad range. I, I wouldn't just say I just treat sporting injuries or anything like that. I treat people that understand that treatment can be uncomfortable to get a benefit in the long run. Yeah, and it's, it works really well for me. As much I, I, I want to get into a lot of the, yeah, that myofascial tension technique stuff that. I, I, I see, and Steve Goldstein. He he lives down down near where I am, and I've been really wanting to get into his courses just to learn some non painful ways of treating people. But ultimately, causing pain really works for me. So <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> Of course, you're not, you know, trying to injure your clients well, yeah. or, you know, have them leave in more pain than they came in. Um, do you have an ideal, though? Like, do you have like a, you know, would you, if do you, you want to eventually that. work with, you know, athletes or teenagers or elderly? Like, do you have an ideal client that you would love to eventually have as a, a little niche or niche, depending on where you're from? Niche, the word is niche. Yeah, we're, we're, we're a niche down here. <laughs> yes, us too. Yay. We, we actually know what the English language is. It's fine. <laughs> Burn, US listeners. <laughs> my, my niche is people who want to be able to move better for longer. It doesn't have to be young or old. It's just, okay, I want to be able to do this and I want to be able to do it without being uncomfortable. And whether that is, you know, uh, I had the the awesome privilege of um, treating this uh, woman and she'd never ran a marathon. It was on a, on a bucket list. And I think that when I first started seeing her, she would get to around that 23K mark and then her knee would burn out and her hip would hurt. She'd get some lower back pain. And as much as COVID cancelled the marathon that she was planning on running, 
she mapped out a course, ran it on a weekend, ran the full 42Ks, got to the end of it and sent me an email and I'm at the end, nothing hurts. Wow. I'm going to go pull off in the ocean. Yes. That is, that is, <laughs> that is my ideal client. I want, here's my goal. I'm going to do what you say to make that goal achievable. I like and it. like I said, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be sporting. Like there's a, another awesome person that I treat who's got some nerve damage from, from past treatments. And she just wants to be able to walk down the street confidently without having massive dizzy spells and falling over. Now she, she's at the point where, yeah, she can go for a couple of hour walk, walk down the street, cross the road. And it's not on the forefront of her mind that when she gets to the crossing, what happens if I get a dizzy spell halfway across the road? And I mean, like that's sort of the two greatest achievements I feel like I've, I've achieved so far in sort of everybody I've treated, but there that's that's the reason why I love what I do so much it's such a good feeling I had a client who um who came in and I've, I've spoken about her before on the podcast but she had seen so many different practitioners and she wasn't really seeing any improvement because they just kept telling her you need to exercise a big part of your problem is that you are overweight and so she kept getting the same feedback you need to lose weight you need to lose weight you need to lose weight but when she came to me like literally in tears and she said I just want to be able to go for a walk with my husband. Like we used to go for walks every night after dinner, but I'm in so much pain, I can't even walk. And so I was like, okay, like, let's just have that as the goal. I want you to be able to go for, even if it's 10 minutes, I want you to be able to go for a walk after dinner with your husband and just having that goal and doing what we needed to do to get her to be able to walk. So when she finally said to me one night, it was like a nice, a nice evening uh, the day before and she came in, she's like, we went for a walk. She's like, I got 15 minutes in before I felt any pain. I'm like, cool. 15 minutes is better than zero. I'll take it. See, this is the type of shit that I wish everyone would just be able to fucking hear because not everyone is going to attach these really feel-good moments and all the rest of it with massage therapy. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Like, this is the shit that I want all of those general practice doctors, family physicians to hear. Mm-hmm. And that way, when their patients are coming and expressing this 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 real concern, like, I just want to be able to fucking walk without having discomfort. It's not like, well, you're fat and that's why you need to, you need to deal with that. And if you don't deal with it, then forget it. Like, I want them to hear these types of scenarios where someone who knows what they're doing, who's compassionate and empathetic and has great skills can make the patient feel better, can Mm -hmm. make the patient hit those milestones that are life-changing for them, even as small as they are to the rest of us. Yeah, and it's very backwards thinking because if, you know, if she can get to that point where she's confident enough to go out and walk and not be in pain, the more she walks, the more weight she'll lose. Like, it's it seems pretty common sense to us. <laughs> that, that is exactly what I was just going to say. Like, and I've heard it as well. So, uh, yeah, my, my doctor or my, my physio has said, yeah, I need to lose weight to help this. Somebody can't move, then how or can't move without pain? How, how are they going to lose weight? Yeah. We need to figure that out first. How do we make them move? <laughs> yeah. Get people to move. The rest, the rest will come. Sometimes it takes longer than others, 
but change the thinking as a therapist and change the client's thinking. Mm -hmm. Who says that the goal has to, in that particular case, the goal has to be, I want to walk for an hour. How about, like you said, let's go for a walk for 10 minutes. Let's have that as the goal. The hour, that's the long-term goal. If we get to that in eight months' time, great. Let's get you, A, moving that goal will get closer. You know how we started, actually, that person who eventually went for the 15 minute walk. When we started, um, I was having her go from her like the foyer in her house. She had um, three steps that like that went up to, I guess, the next level. I've never been to her house. This is just her describing it. And I would have her put on her favorite song and step up and down the first step just for the length of the song. Like, that's how we started. Do you know what song it was? No, song I actually don't know what it was. That would have been way cooler if I did. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for calling me out there. Sorry, no, but I just said to her, like, pick a song. Like, the songs are, what, two, three minutes these days, right? Like, they're not, I mean, unless she was picking something from, like, the 70s or 80s. But, like, I'm thinking two, three minutes. Sexy back. And just, Sexy back. That's what she was Just doing. walk. <laughs> like, literally, step up, step, up step down, down step up, step down. And so the first time we did that, I said, how'd you feel after the two minutes? After the two minutes, she said, I was sore but I made it through. And then we increased to like two songs. Like that's how it, these tiny little goals and it just made her feel good enough that like I'm doing something. You think she was singing, I'm just a love machine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a love machine. It's interesting that you, you, you bring up that particular client. I've got a, a client who's had you know, a knee replacement and some issues and I normally work treat out of a, an upstairs room because it's actually got a window and I hate the dungeon. I mean, you know, the dark room with no windows. And she's now racing me up the stairs to mm-hmm. get to the, the treatment room. And all we did was alter the, the neurodynamics of her hips and all of a sudden, hang on, I've got all this power that I didn't know that I had. And all of a sudden, my replaced knee doesn't hurt and my dodgy knee that hasn't been replaced yet isn't hurting as much either. Oh, great. And, yeah, she, she's powering up the stairs at us. Okay, hang on. I'm running to try and catch her. <laughs> Take it easy. I want to actually assess you while you go up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I have something intelligent to say, but I have to point out that I really love the use of the word dodgy. We don't use that here. And every time I hear like <laughs> somebody use the word dodgy, I'm like, I like that. I need to incorporate that into my vocabulary. <laughs> but that um, just as you were saying, like, you know, the person who had the knee replacement and now they're running up the stairs. Um, sometimes, too, when somebody's in so much pain and they've been that way for so long, they can convince themselves that they can't move. So I had a, a very... Um, elderly woman come in, you know, walking with a cane, bare, like literally shuffled in here. I'm not, I, I think she even said she struggled to, like, we don't have any steps. Um, like there's an elevator, but to come into the front door, I like, I would say, I don't know, less than two inches. She might have to like, to step up to get into the front door. And that was difficult for her. So when she first started coming in, she's shuffling in here, she's in the cane. And she was saying it was her hip, her hip, her hip. And she was thinking, I'm going to have to get a hip replacement. I'm like, okay. So we start going through treatment. After, I think at about the fourth session, because the first time she came in, 
honestly, I couldn't even really do a proper assessment because she was unwilling to move anything, right? So I can't really, if you're not going to move, how can I assess your movement? So I said, okay, we're going to hold off on this. Let me just start palpating, seeing what's going on. And, you know, I was getting her to talk and tell me how long things have been happening. And about maybe the third or fourth treatment, she looked better. Like she just came in in a better mood. She seemed happy. She seemed positive because we were doing things and she's like, okay, this is going to help me. I'm going to be able to move a little more. So when she came in that day, I said, let's try to assess the movements of your hip now. Just having her in a better mood and having her believing that we were getting somewhere and doing, I really hadn't done much. You know, in the first three treatments, I hadn't done a hell of a lot. And suddenly that day, she had full range, flexion, extension, abduction, ad, like her hip moved. So I just said to her, I'm like, so what is the problem with your hip? Her hip moved. It's just, you know, when somebody's in, somebody's in pain for so long, yep. then yeah, she had convinced herself I have a bad hip. I'm going to need a hip replacement. Her hip moved just fine. We have a cool job. We do. I wish more people knew how cool it was. I, I sort of have a pretty good understanding of um, what pain can really feel like. So the the thing that got me out of concreting and into this uh, was a, a damaged spine. I, I fell sort of two and a half meters onto a lump of steel, went across my lumbar spine and- oh created a little bit of damage. I was super fortunate that I didn't listen to the first couple of surgeons that I went and saw and just said, oh, you need a spinal fusion, which I did end up having. But uh, I, I come across this incredible, incredible man uh, who who's, he is a, a neurosurgeon. And he he said to me that I think you need this but I want you to try all this natural therapy stuff first. Mm -hmm. And while you're doing that, he said, I want you to go to the gym. Is it? And he prefaced that with, you're not going to make things worse. It may hurt, but you're not going to make things worse. And uh, so over the, over the course of a year, a year and a half, I, I tried epidurals. I tried exercise physiologists. I, saw some pain specialists. Uh, I don't think there was anything left that I hadn't tried that, that I even, even now that I know of. And I went back and went back and saw this surgeon. He said, great. How have you been going at the gym? I said, well, I've been doing all your exercises. He said, fantastic. Went in. I had the, had a anterior spinal fusion. The next day he, he had me up walking around and that was the first time I hadn't experienced sciatic pain all the way down to my ankle in about a year and a half and I was just about crying like it was unbelievable but the only thing that didn't change was the back pain the back pain was still there and he goes well, that is why we've been going to the gym so now you just need to move because the movement is going to be the thing that gets rid of the last of that pain. I uh, I met uh, a myotherapist when I was studying, and he's also done some McKenzie training. I think you guys have heard of that one too. And mm -hmm. uh, he showed me two variations of an exercise, and I've been able to stay largely pain free ever since. I still have to be very careful with what I do and Absolutely. how long I stay sitting down for and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
but between those two people, they, they gave me my life back. That is so cool. And it, it makes so much sense now why you wanted to get into this type of work, right? You want you understand how debilitating pain can be and how it can totally fuck up your life. Like I was in a minor car accident in October and I say my like honestly, like I I stepped out of the car, I was walking, I was talking, but the amount of pain I was in from that, it it was shocking to me. Even though I've been a therapist for 10 years, I was like, how the hell does my body hurt this much from being rear-ended? And I was just miserable. I was just cranky. Everything seemed like a chore to do because my body hurt. Yeah, like you were pretty cranky. I I'm still a little cranky because that pain still isn't gone. But yeah, like I I can't imagine like a major injury like you had, Daniel, or like Mark also has um neurological damage because of disc herniations in his lumbar spine and he's in pain a hundred percent of the time. I mean, the intensity varies and he manages it, but sometimes I just say to him, like, if I'm feeling pain, I'll just look at him. I'm like, how do you live with this? How do you do it? I don't understand how you function because I just get cranky and cry on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get cranky when no one's around and I cry when no one's around. No one's around. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm luckier than most was that there was there was no long-lasting neurological damage. There was, there was no no nerve damage or anything like that. So I was I was incredibly lucky because mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think if I had I had that as well as everything else that was going on, yeah, I, I don't think the outcome would have been anywhere near as good. And sort of the the level of depression that I did get into was phenomenal. I think if I had that on top, uh, yeah, I, I quite possibly wouldn't have even wouldn't even still be here. Pain is so debilitating and we know that. And like, I really do want more people to hear this episode because like even the fact that you said this neurosurgeon, it was a neurosurgeon, right? Yeah. Who, yeah. The fact that this person recognized that it's not just about doing the surgery and fixing your back so you, you know, you can live, but it's quality of life. Like the fact that he had you going to the gym and then thinking about how can we make sure that the pain doesn't last with you forever. Yeah. I feel like that's not necessarily the attitude or mentality of a lot of uh, doctors or surgeons, or, or at least from people that I've known and, you know, things I've heard is it's sort of like, okay, we're going to do this procedure. You know, like I, I have so many clients who have had knee replacements or hip yep, replacements, yep, yep. and I feel like they don't get that second piece of like, how do we help them to now move with this new, you know, artificial joint and make sure that they don't have long lasting pain and, you know, compensation patterns. Like they don't care because now your joint is replaced. You're alive. Go this away. is why being a kinesiologist, it's a regulated healthcare profession. And it's frustrating as fuck because this is what we do. We do movement. We do exercise. We've been doing it for so freaking long. And yeah. it's like no one is, is utilizing us the way they should be, right? So for example, your neurosurgeon was fabulous for suggesting you go to the gym, do these exercises. It's not just about reduction in pain and moving better, but it's also the speed of the recovery after the mm -hmm. surgery. Do you see what I'm saying? So if 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 your if your patients that have had those knee replacements or those hip replacements had someone to go see to prep them mm -hmm. to uh, to recover quicker, then that that's gold. Like you, can't, that's so important. It's like it's like uh, Bobby Joe who was who was on her couch and she had a job working at a hospital. 
It specializes in hernias. And she was seeing patients the next day after surgery. And those patients were up walking around the next day after surgery. It was all about preparing them for a speedy recovery. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like we started out with this episode, Daniel saying he wants to talk about education. And I assumed he meant patient education. I mean, I guess therapist education as well. But patient education, I know that a lot of my patients that I see, and it's probably they've learned this from their own doctors or other practitioners, but they always think, you know, if they're injured, oh, I need to rest. I need to, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like and out with that conservative shit. I want you to keep moving. Some of it is going to be a little uncomfortable, but you got to sometimes work through the pain because if you stop moving, now we're going to have other problems compacted on top of this one. So no, we're not going to just let you lay on the couch with your feet up with some ice. We're moving. So I've, uh, I've started up a, a little, uh, a little line that I, I talk about with my clients, uh, movement for life. Yeah. If they, if they've, if they're seeing a, you know, their doctor or a physio or doesn't matter whoever, whoever it is that they're talking to, I always, always encourage them. Okay. So next time you have your appointment with this person, say, I've been doing this and I've been doing this and I've been doing this and it makes me feel better. What else can I do? Not, I'm just going to go sit on the couch because things are a little bit sore. It's okay. Sitting on the couch, yeah, that makes me feel comfortable when this flares up, but I do this and I do this. And I've now, I've actually noticed that I've started getting a couple of referrals from uh, surgeons who do hip replacements to improve range of motion post-surgery, post-initial recovery. Nice. To ensure that, yeah, once they, once they are recovered, they are, they're able to move, they're able to control and they're not in, not in pain. All of a sudden, hip replacements are, are quite comfortable to live with as much as in some cases I would have liked to have seen them before they had the replacement to try and delay that necessary need. But. Yeah, in some cases, it, it is un, unavoidable. I can only imagine how foreign, you know, having an artificial joint must feel at the beginning to get moving and have a therapist work with you right away to like figure out. I feel like it would just get you more like, I'm going to sound like such a hippie right now, but like connected back to your body, right? Because you literally have an artificial part of your body now that you want to integrate into feeling like it's yours and knowing how to control muscles and move properly with this new joint. Do you know anyone like personally who has artificial limbs, uh, limbs, artificial, artificial joints? joints replaced? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But for them, I mean, when you get to a point of we're replacing your hip, it's because you're in so much fucking pain yeah. that you get a hip replacement. You're like, oh, okay, well, I can deal with all the myofascial discomfort that comes from surgery. I can deal with that. I can deal with all the compensatory stuff that's been building up the whole time that I've had pain and discomfort associated with my hip. I can deal with that. So it's, I think it's more of like a, a fucking feel-good moment than, than anything else. It's like, okay, I'm one step closer to to being in a significant reduction of pain compared to where I was before and then the quality of life just improves from there right I can go to the fucking john without someone helping me yeah I can I I know there's definitely a lot of uh pluses to it but I had um heard stories I shouldn't say I had, they were not my patients these were like one of my clients um her mother was one of them and then there was two other people but all within the span of a year, I heard of three people right. having knee replacements okay. and post-surgery, all three of them had horrible nerve pain. 
Okay. And it was always knee replacements. And then I felt the way Daniel did. I was like, oh, I wish I had like seen them beforehand and seen if there was any. But, you know, and then and then it was how do we deal with this nerve? Well, pain? That's the thing. If 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 it can ever be to the point of where there can be a whole team, a, a pre-surgery team, like the same way you'd have your post-op care. Why not have a pre pre-surgery care, right? That makes the most sense. And uh, really good surgeons do that. Really good surgeons would be like, we're not doing this replacement unless, you know, you drop this weight and this is how you're going to do it and you're going to go see these people and blah, 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 right? Or you're going to, you know, get your muscles in a certain condition before we even do this. That way the recovery is going to be even faster. Yeah, because Daniel, you were in good shape before your surgery, right? You were working out. You were doing it. I was in better shape than I am now, that's for sure. <laughs> COVID weight is real. <laughs> Two meters though, that's a drop. That's insane. I, I think um, going back to that education thing, I, I, I've met a, a few people that are currently going through, you know, med school and stuff, and they're still very, uh, very much taught that old school thinking. Ah, oh, here's a tablet for this, or in this yeah. case, you send them to a physio, or yeah, all this kind of stuff. I think that concept of a holistic approach and that you don't have to be the answer for everybody's problems. I think that's the way we need to start moving towards. I, I know I'm not the right person for everybody and I'm definitely can't solve everybody's problems. There, there are definitely people that come see me and say, well, and, and fortunately enough, I'm old enough to say, look, I've tried everything that I can think of. I think you need to try this because I don't think I can help you. I'm not going to just keep seeing somebody for the rest of their life because they can get some short-term benefit. This isn't working. I'm not working. Let's try something else. If you need immediate relief, you know where I am Mm -hmm. and I can still offer you that immediate relief. But as for a long-term fix, I haven't got it. As practitioners in the health field, I think we all need to start looking that way. Maybe, maybe even shifting the way we look at healthcare as a, as a whole. Let's go with least invasive, least risky first and work up instead of saying, like in my case, oh, you just need spinal fusion surgery. As mm-hmm. much as that did happen, that the result I definitely feel wouldn't have been the same if I hadn't have done the least invasive to most invasive. That should typically be the approach. But for example, I've even heard somebody sitting in this room with oh, yeah. me no, say- I, I said that. What you're going to say right yeah, now. I know what you're going to say. I, like, yeah. Let's just go for what fucking works. Exactly. Because I'm the person <laughs> that- that's the times when I'm desperate and I'm in fucking right. pain. I'm, like, I'm, the, I'm the person that works. wants a doctor to start with, okay, what can we try that, yeah, is either um, the most natural or least, invas- least invasive. Whereas, you know, sometimes the patient, what they want is, okay, what's going to work? Is surgery going to work? Why do I have to go through all this? Let me just have the surgery. So it's, yeah, there I feel like there needs to be a shift in mentality that we we need to be taking care of our health and our bodies in in a different way. It's not always about a quick fix. And that's why I've always loved having my like I have a family doctor, but I also have naturopathic doctors that I consult on things because sometimes it can be something as simple as a food sensitivity or, you know, changing up my diet or adding in a supplement, maybe, you know, versus, you know, having to go to my doctor and get some some sort of pills or NSAIDs for something that I, I could probably do if I just eat differently or, you know. Do you, do you ever notice, though, that 
I'm quick to go to the doctor to get all those things and I don't take them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I just, I think I just like having them there if I, if I absolutely need them. <laughs> What's it like over there, Daniel, with, um, more like natural medicine like we have naturopathic doctors here um homeopathy like what what's the view on natural remedies where you are uh it's definitely definitely changing so uh up until very recently we had a a naturopath that was working out of our clinic uh she she was fantastic uh i've also noticed that there are or there's an increasing number of GPs that are also naturopathic doctors as well. Mm. So they'll flip the two sides of the coin depending on what the person presents with. If it's standard meds, great. If it's more natural therapy, then yeah, let's go, go that way instead. Having said that, I don't think it's as accepted yet as, as your traditional traditional medicine yeah, i feel like that's the route we should go on exactly no, what I daniel just said yeah. i feel like everybody that wants to work as a doctor a medical it should be it should be a combination of both there shouldn't be this distinction you're a naturopathic doctor and all you do is talk about diets and supplements and you know you and you know you do some cranial sacral or acupuncture or whatever mm-hmm. you do all the natural stuff and then you're the medical doctor that i come to when i need pills there should be this person who understands both and then, you know, understands the patient in front of them and figures out what we need to do. Because there's absolutely times where the pills, the tablets are necessary. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely times where we can figure this out. It might take a little bit longer to get you where you need to be, but it'll be the best for your body and your health right now. So I I actually have um, a person that I follow on Facebook who is both a, um, I think she's like an herbalist, but also a medical doctor. And she Mm -hmm. was a midwife. Like she's got like sort of the best of both worlds. And I I love all of the articles and stuff that she writes and publishes because it takes everything into account. So I don't know. I, I feel like that's, if we're talking about changing education, maybe that should be it. There's no distinction. Mm-hmm. If you're a doctor, you're a doctor. There's this really cool doctor that I met and he he studied out of Australia. And as a part of his course, it was a seven-year course. And he had to learn Eastern and Western medicine mm-hmm. to become a doctor. And therefore, that is exactly how he treats. Yep, yep. Eastern medicine has been around for, what, 3,000 3, odd years? Yeah, 3,500 3,500, 4,000, yeah. Yep. If it didn't work, it wouldn't still be around. So why aren't we th- why aren't we teaching it? Look at why us with we- our arms in the air. Yes, <laughs> I use cupping. I don't necessarily completely understand. And if you Google it enough, you'll find a million different ways people say it works. Yep. Who cares? It works. <laughs> so my last client that was here just before we um, got on Zoom with you, Daniel, um, he he's been seeing me for a little while, but. Um, he had a new concern today and we've done cupping before for other issues. So I said to him, um, are you cool if I incorporate cupping into our treatment today? And he was totally fine with it. So as I'm putting the cups on him, he said, is it true that cupping can detox your body or is that a myth? And I was like, how in depth do I want to go into this right now? <laughs> how long's our appointment, young man? How long's our appointment? <laughs> yeah, like sit down. We've got some talking to do. Depending on who's asking when they ask that kind of stuff. If it's yeah, you know, a shorter session and I couldn't be bothered, I'll say 
it really does depend on which textbook you read, but I like this theory and this theory makes the most sense for me. And that's, and that, and that's what I'll tell them. Yeah. I'm not going to say it detoxes or, oh, we're just bringing blood up to the surfaces. I'm using cupping in this fashion because I believe it'll increase the myofascial tension through that superficial layer, which is going to make it easier for you to move. And then I'll do it. So, okay, now let's move and let's see what mm. see what changes we've had. So, oh, oh, hang on. Yeah, I, that moves heaps easier. Great. So I improved the, the myofascial sling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, it just like um, when we're teaching our cupping course, you know, we – we teach it in a way that we talk about, you know, this is how we use cupping within our scope of practice as massage therapists. And it's a soft you know, tissue tool. Exactly. It's a soft tissue tool. And these are the claims we can make. And, but we do give a, a background and a history about its traditional uses. Like you said, it's been used for over 3,500 years. So this is what traditional Chinese medicine practitioners might say. This is, you know, what somebody in Native American culture might say. But these are not claims that we can make. But at least being mindful of it and understanding that this is what the traditional uses are. Do we know if it's doing any of those things? Not according to our research that we have and not within our scope of practice, but at least understanding that this is what it has been used for and what other cultures are still using it for. I like how there's this, there's this dude. Paul Kohlmeyer, who who uh, he teaches, they they own Cupping Canada, Cupping Canada. Cupping USA, and so he teaches cupping courses all over the place. And I love how he taught, and he does he does acupuncture as well. So mm-hmm. he studied he studied, and he studied traditional Chinese yeah. medicine. So yeah. I love how he talks about, and he uses the terms like Western physiology versus Eastern physiology, and it's it's really interesting to hear him talk about it because you listen to it, you're like you're like physiology, uh, physiology, physiology, right? <laughs> but the way he talks about it, the different philosophies, it's it's really cool to hear him talk about it yeah but i'm with you back on the podcast oh nice well i'm with you though i i don't necessarily and i said this to my client very honestly like i don't necessarily care all the time why something works if we do this and you get up and you're moving and you're like wow this is so much better i'm like cool i don't i don't need the explanation cool it worked. Here comes the hate shitstorm. <laughs> I'm very much a, I definitely believe in the scientific approach, and that is the base of what I do. But the scientific approach can be purely from clinical experience. Mm-hmm. But it may not be in a book that you can read or a course that you've done, but it is something that I have tried in a clinic and it's worked. I've tried it on somebody else and it's worked. Therefore, it is incorporated into my treatment for that particular issue. Even if there is no, and if there's no scientific reason behind it, it's, it's clinically works for me, which is why we're doing it. Yeah. And as long as you're saying that to your patients as well, like, you know, you don't necessarily have to have peer reviewed research and uh, hard evidence, but if you have clinical evidence to support what you're saying. You can say, you know, in in practice, in, you know, my clinical findings, this is what has happened. This is what could happen. But you're not saying like, this modality has been proven to do A, B, and C. It's just, this is what I've seen clinically. Let's see what's going. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what uh, what the haters are like over in Canada, but uh, <laughs> if you're, even if you're trying something different that 
hasn't got some scientific background and you talk about it, you can get a lot of hate. Oh, definitely. Ultimately, what we do other than dry needling is really low risk. So why wouldn't you try something different? But as long as the reasoning that you're putting behind it is for the client's best interest, why not try something new? Otherwise, how do we all learn and evolve anyway? Well, what is science anyway? If people aren't willing to experiment, how are we going to come up with new findings? Exactly, but it's not on a bit of paper, therefore you shouldn't do it. (laughs) I can almost guarantee that anyone that is going to give you shit on stuff like this, that they have that one thing that is not supported by research that they either love to do or love having it done on them, and it's okay as long as we don't talk about this one thing right (laughs) we'll we'll slam you for cupping we'll slam you for reflexology we'll slam you for this but if you talk about this well then you know uh i'm not gonna i don't have the same the same volume to my voice right now (laughs) which i think is really fucking interesting because i've seen that happen in a facebook group yeah it happens could have thought keyboards would bring out the worst in people (laughs) yeah yeah people are definitely uh People are just meaner to each other when it's online. Everyone talks big behind a fucking screen. (laughs) Yeah, it's everyone's everyone's a badass behind a screen. That's all there is to it. Uh, It's. I'm so glad I'm not really on any form of social media. It makes things so much easier. Well, what about you've only been in practice for three years, but obviously you're super into your job. You love what you're doing. there might come a point where you want to grow your practice, possibly, you know, open up your own business or, you know, have you thought about where you want to go with this? Where do you see yourself in five years, Daniel? <laughs> so I've done the owning my own business thing. I, I'm i surrounded by some of the most awesome practitioners you could ever meet. I absolutely love where I work and what I do. So I think I'm just going to be there. You're content. I, I, I'm I'm so content and happy with where I'm at. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine leaving as much as that sort of goes against Mark's entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> I just I just love it. No, but part of Mark's entrepreneurial spirit and all of his rants about being an entrepreneur is recognizing also when you're not. Because there's so much shit that comes along with being a business owner yeah, sure. that if you don't want to deal with the shit, cool. It's not for everybody. Don't do it. Right? It's not for everybody. And every entrepreneur, like we say all the time, every entrepreneur needs a needs a number one or number two. And and that that might be you instead. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll, I'll go with number three because <laughs> one and two has a different connotation here. <laughs> they do here as well. <laughs> We asked the five-year question, so I do have to ask, you know, we, I don't know how many episodes you've listened to, but we often ask therapists, if you were to win the lottery and you win millions tomorrow, are you still doing this or are you saying, fuck it, I'm retired? I'd definitely still be trading. I'd be only trading the people that I want. I wouldn't be charging for it. Every weekend, I'd be trying to learn something new and I'd be mentoring oh i have i don't have we heard anyone say they would mentor if they were super rich um sandy said he he'd he'd love to be a mentor he'd love to yeah. do mentoring but he didn't it had nothing to do with being rich love. no but i love that idea i don't think i ever really yeah. thought that way but yeah like being able to help other people in the business because you know we talk to a lot of coaches 
And there's part of me that loves the idea. There's another part of me that's like, I'm already doing 17 jobs as it is. <laughs> like I don't think I could add anything else. But if I was super rich and only treating people that I wanted to and only working as much as I wanted to, yeah, I think I'd want to help other therapists become super successful. I'm stealing your answer, Daniel. I love it. All right. It's fine. I'm happy for you to win the lottery and do the exact same thing. I'd be happy for you. I'm happy if I win the lottery too. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, me too. That way I can stop working. And just... There's a, a chiropractor who's just around the corner from, from our clinic and he he does a lot of, a lot of mentoring and he, he's very much a, a specialized chiropractor and he's is offered for me once COVID's all over and all that kind of fun stuff to actually sit in and follow him through his assessments. Obviously not so much the treating part because I can't manipulate bone, but sort of trying to gauge an understanding of what he sees through, you know, the bones and the, and the nervous system compared to, you know, my view of the nervous system and this, you know the muscles and i thought you know what given the opportunity that'd be the way i'd go i'm treating today if you want come in see what i do see how i approach each individual problem and let's just narrow it down so okay you've got all of this issue but if we treat this you're going to see change Mm. and then if we do this you're going to sustain the change and then we can solve the next problem when it comes up. And as much as, ah, the pain's here, but the actual cause is here. So let's, let's focus on the cause rather than the symptom. And let's, yeah, let's keep you moving, moving for life. Moving for like life. We, we have a project that we're working on that I think, uh, I think you'll get a kick out of them because it's, it's very similar to what you're suggesting with the, the mentor pieces and other disciplines as well and bringing everyone together. So we have a, a really good understanding as to, you know, chiropractor dude, what's your approach? Physiotherapy lady, what's your approach? Kinesiology person, what's your approach? Craniosacral, what's your, and why? Explain to us why you're going to do these things and what the outcomes you're hoping to achieve are. And yeah, it's going to be a cool little piece. So there's a, there's a, a multimodality clinic that um, is in North Melbourne. And when they get um, clients in, the, the physio, the osteo, they all sit in the same room mm. and they go through the assessment. So they all assess together. And then it's a part of a, a sporting group. So it's, they're all always just looking at elite athletes and then they'll all sort of go away and say, okay, if we do this, this, and this combining our three modalities or areas of expertise, we're going to get this player back on the field faster, better, and stronger with less likely for you know, reoccurrence of injury. Wouldn't that just be a fantastic place to be able to evolve to as a as a health field, mm-hmm. how cool would that be? Just getting three different people in a room, and then we're I, actually, you know what? I think this one's for you now and me later, rather than just saying, "Okay, you're here now, so I'm going to treat you, and I get paid, and everyone else can just do their thing." Did you guys ever watch the the TV show House? with the doctor yes so I used to love that show and it was on um, I used to watch it with my mom and my brother and 
one, I think it like really skewed my idea of what healthcare was. Like I assumed, you know, when you have a patient with a problem, you've got a whole team of people just sitting there with a whiteboard and brainstorming and Imagine if that really was the thing and every patient was like, okay, we've got somebody, here's the symptoms. What do you think? What do you think? Like, imagine if there was just a team for everybody, how fucking cool that would be. Well, it wouldn't have to be for everybody, just for your slightly more complex. Like Mark, for example, with his uh, back and neurological and mm-hmm. everything else that he's got going on. You need a team. Cool would it be to just sit in on a team and everybody assesses together. Every, everybody sees the same thing and then interprets that exactly. based on their yeah. on their area of expertise and say, okay, let's try this and see what happens. I love that. See what happens. Yeah. I reckon it would be really cool. Truly, truly, truly multidisciplinary. Right, not just a whole bunch of disciplines working in the same place. No, yeah, like you said that, that a million times. Working together, yeah. cases at a time. Yeah, I like it. I love that. So I've got um, a couple more questions for you, Daniel. The first, the first one is like super random. It has nothing to do with massage, but just because we're talking to you and we're in Canada and you're in Australia, um, were you born and raised there? Uh, yeah, so I was born in regional Victoria in a little town called Shepparton. And sort of lived there until about five years ago when I moved to the Big Smoke. All right. If you were not where you are now, are there is there another country you've ever thought about uh, moving to? Would you ever relocate and live somewhere else, or are you staying put down under forever? <laughs> my my wife's Italian, and a couple of years ago we we went to. Um, Paris and sort of toured the east coast of Italy over the over about three weeks, and I could definitely see myself living in Florence. I've moved there in a heartbeat. Does your wife speak Italian? She does. Yeah. All right. At least you won't. At least you guys will understand okay. what's happening. <laughs> I, I've got a question too. Then, since we're already talking about geography, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Paul Hogan, who is the real hero? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not a, I, I, I don't get Paul Hogan's uh, <laughs> comedy. Uh, Hugh Jackman's definitely very down to earth, but uh, I'm going to throw Eric Banner into the mix just because he's a Melbourne boy. Mm. He actually he actually lives down Bayside, Melbourne, which is where I live. So every now and then. You'll uh, you'll see him at the front of a cafe having a coffee. Celeb sighting. He's like a real under-earth Aussie guy. Nice. Well, the last thing then that I want to ask you tonight, because Mark started asking a lot of therapists this, and since you're super passionate and you're relatively new in the field, as a therapist, what is your favorite thing to do with a client on the table? Do you have a move? Do you have a favorite technique that you love doing or a certain area that you love treating uh pre pre covid lockdowns and stuff here uh i did a a, a lot of self reflection uh on what my what areas i struggled with the most or didn't quite understand the most and that turned out to be yeah sort of the hips so I spent yeah the best part of lockdown doing online courses and reading everything I could about the hips and it is now yeah, my favorite thing to treat 
by far. Well, I mean, if you weren't a freaking day and a bit ahead of me, I would be your patient because that is my <laughs> biggest problem area, are my hips. Two kids later and they don't feel so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a surprisingly common comment that I hear. <laughs> I've had a couple of kids and my hips aren't right or my, my lateral knee isn't performing the way I'd like it to or haven't necessarily got the pelvic core control that I'd like to have. Well, thank, thankfully, I don't uh, pee when I sneeze, but, you know, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thankfully. thankfully. I'm kidding. If you pee when you sneeze, it's okay. Whoever's listening, if you pee when you sneeze, it's okay. Just go see a pelvic floor go physio. Go see a pelvic floor physio. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to ask Daniel about tonight before we let him get off to wherever he's got it's look it's so sunny oh, behind he's, him he's, gonna he's lunch, going off man. to work yeah he's gonna have some lunch gonna go to work anything else you want to talk to him about no this has been fun man i appreciate this uh, with all the back and forth that we went through and like uh, the mix up on dates and oh, whatever else happened i feel like there's a billion things that happened this i have to say though that was pretty funny when we we scheduled a recording with daniel in december <laughs> and because none of us were actually taking into consideration the time change we picked like a time and a date but for him it would literally be the next day <laughs> so we fucked up yeah. <laughs> Shit. so yeah thank you with my hands not my head that's okay <laughs> <laughs> well this has been really really great daniel is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up thanks i, I really love listening to you guys it's sort of it is my my downtime just listening to some of the awesome people that you guys get on and I'm, I, I feel privileged that i had the opportunity to uh to be a part of it as well. I feel privileged that people in Australia are listening to us. Yeah, like sure. that is really freaking cool. So thank you for sending Mark a message. Thank you for not being shy because it was it was very interesting to talk to you. And I really like this. I like these kind of feel good episodes. People Absolutely. that are really into this job. I love it. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. This is good. Thank you very much. No worries. And I'll keep sharing your pod podcast with everybody I know. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace. For those about to rock, we salute you. <laughs>